Hello, everyone. Welcome to another hilarious edition of the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Dominic Vogel, and joining me, as always, is Mr. Chuckles himself, Christian Redshaw. Christian, how are you doing? <laughs> Pushing my buttons. Yeah. Again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a jolly old time, man. Uh, uh, I am feeling quite jovial just as well, to, my just friend. To pass the potato. Yeah, that's you. right. I'm, I'm doing very well, and I'm very excited for the guest today. Um, <laughs> it's a fellow Canadian, Diego Matut. He is the founder of CypherCore. Um, I know this is going to be just an incredible conversation. I've spoken with him once. You've said good things about him. Yeah, r- really int- just wise beyond his years. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation. So I will shut up, and Let's we will we'll bring him on. Diego, thank you so much for joining us today on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Awesome. We're, Christian and I are really looking forward to this conversation, especially with a fellow Canadian. We know that you're, you're based in, in Ottawa and uh, thought maybe just start the discussion, uh, if you could in, indulge us and our listeners and viewers, tell us uh, a little bit about your journey to date, your career progression, and uh, what it is that you're doing today? Yeah, sure. So I'm uh, Diego Matute. Uh, I'm the CEO and founder of CypherCore. Uh, so we're a cybersecurity firm that builds seamless, user-friendly, secure, and well-supported uh, multi-factor authentication solutions. Uh, so we've been in business for uh, 10 years. Uh, we have customers in 60-plus countries, and we count uh, small, you know, small and medium businesses to uh, multinational firms to uh, the government of Canada. So we have several departments in the government of Canada's uh, clients. Um, and uh, so I studied uh, mathematics and uh, combinatorics at uh, the University of Waterloo. Uh, when I graduated, I uh, moved to Seattle. I was in um, uh, Microsoft. So I worked there as a developer for a few years. Have then I went Microsoft to. Before? Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It must be a new company. <laughs> and uh, uh, after that, I moved to San Francisco. I was uh, working at a, at a startup there and I was there for about five years. And in the fifth year, my dad came um to visit me and he showed me this thing he was working on and he had actually built a multi-factor authentication solution using a usb device and this was a few years ago like 2008 2009 and uh you know i was a dev and i I was i was very interested and i said that's pretty cool uh, but we should put this on a phone and the iphone had just come out and so we were thinking of you know because usually with security you have to solve uh, two problems at the same time you have to solve the security aspect you want it to be um, you know, secure to add value and to prevent bad actors from, you know, gaining access to assets. But there's always the problem of user experience where mm-hmm. if you make something too secure and, uh, you know, users can't use it anymore, then they're just not going to. So you're going to have a loss of productivity or maybe they'll find some backdoor and then that's even worse for your security. Um, and so we looked at how, uh, well, I, I actually built a prototype with an iPhone and we uh, did uh, push notifications. That was a very new thing at the time. And we were the first ones to actually do push-based uh, authentication. Uh, and so we thought, wow, that's, uh, uh, looks like we're kind of solving both problems at the same time, you know, because we're bringing a, a physical uh, a phone to the, uh, uh, to the process and it's like really easy to use, you know, one tap and you can approve it. And so we decided to start something and I moved back to Ottawa and that was about 11 years ago. Wow. What, what a great narrative. That, that, that's very, awesome. Very <laughs> succinct. Very good intro. Thank you. Uh, so, so Diego, I wanted to touch on something that you said there, the first security problem that you mentioned, which is to actually secure information, right? To protect companies uh, and prevent, prevent bad actors. So we're thinking about the techniques that cyber criminals use. And one of them is something called account takeovers. 
Uh, I'm sure that's a that's a central focus for you to to prevent that from happening. But could you just explain to our listeners and viewers uh, what happens in an account takeover situation? Yeah, so account takeover probably uh, so according to um, like annual breach uh, data breach reports, uh, they it it accounts for about sixty eight percent of all data breaches, and account takeover means that someone else other than the user is accessing that user's account. Um, and so they've effectively taken, like they're impersonating that user and becoming that user. So as an example, let's say that you log in uh, to a web page uh, where you can access your company mail and you put in your company email address and your password. Uh, it would be someone else doing that on your behalf. And the system thinks it's you because you've you've given your the email and you've given the correct password, but now it's someone else doing that. And so now that that account is taken over, uh, a lot of havoc can be re- breached, um, um, uh, can be had. So uh, if it's mail, somebody could start sending mail to other individuals in your organization and they think it's from you, so they trust it and they may click links that contain uh, malware or that can compromise their their own machine, or they may be told to do certain things like, you know, uh, this is uh, Jim from accounting, please transfer a million dollars to this account. And you you wouldn't think anything of it because if it's from Jim's email, you would think it was them. Um, So account takeover is a very big uh, problem because traditionally businesses have protected their network focusing on uh, technology to protect the perimeter of their network, kind of like you would focus technology on protecting uh, your house with a fence and you just use more and more complicated fences. And so it's harder to do that. So where are attackers going next? The people that are actually entering there. So, and they're just pretending it's like they put on a mask and they just pretend they're the person that should be there. They're let in and then they can do whatever they want once, once they're in. So it's a, it's a really big problem. Absolutely. So unintended users using accounts to do malicious things into your information systems, really sometimes leading even to like a business email compromise kind of situation with financial fraud can be can be disastrous. Um, So one of the one of the protections for that, which is what brings us to the table today, is what you refer to as multi-factor authentication at a high level. Can you break down, you know, in simple terms, what is happening with multi-factor authentication? How does it how does it work? Yeah. So um, if you think about typical authentication where you have a username and password, um, that uh, um, is only one dimension of uh, identity. So I like to think of identity in terms of dimension. So you have uh, X, Y, and Z. And so there are three dimensions that we know of. So we know of one dimension, which are the things that we know. These are things inside our brain. So we know our mother's maiden name. We know the city we were born in. We know our passwords. And then the second dimension are physical objects. So physical atoms in our possession, like our phone, uh, like a key, uh, our laptop. These are physical things that we can hold. And then the third dimension are things that we are. So that can be maybe an iris scan or something unique uh, only to us as individuals. And so uh, when you think about uh, having to log into a system, if you only have to use one of those dimensions, that means that an attacker also only has to compromise one of the dimensions. And so if you have multiple dimensions, then an attacker has to compromise 
multiple dimensions. So for example, if they have stolen your password, just because a, 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 an attacker can steal your password, it doesn't mean they can steal your physical phone. Because you know a password, a, a password could have been stored somewhere on the internet, they could have gotten from there, but that doesn't mean that they're also able to access your physical phone. They're two completely different problems. And I like to think about it as, as uh, dimensions because you can think of it, dimensions are also completely different. They're orthogonal to each other. So by adding dimensions to your login, you're just making it that much more difficult for uh, attackers to compromise your account. Uh, I, I really appreciate the way you broke that down, Diego. I mean, I think that, that's a uh, terrific visual and helping people understand the uh, the approach and why the password only approach is, is severely broken, right? But uh, um, I want to go back to what you were talking about earlier around like user experience, or at least user perception as well. And uh, I mean, we're still seeing this today where multi-factor authentication is still not widely used, especially with among many small, smaller and mid-sized organizations. Um, why do you think we're still at a point where we're not at, you know, like 95% uh, of small businesses ha have, have this applied? What's sort of holding that up and what can we do to get over that hurdle? Um, that's a great question. And it's one that we've seen evolved being in business for uh, over 11 years, like multi-factor, uh, uh, just the organizations that have been thinking of multi-factor has, has changed. So if you look at originally, like say 20 years ago, uh, companies that um, needed a stronger authentication um, were compelled to do so basically by the government or maybe through some self-governance because they were part of like critical infrastructure. So think about energy sector, financial services, defense manufacturing, water systems. So if anyone had told you about those kind of companies, you would think, yeah, for sure, they should have the, the most highest levels of security. Um, but then some things started to happen. There started to be more uh, privacy laws. So we saw in, in Canada, we have the Personal Health Information and Protection Act. Um, and in uh, the US, it's, uh, it's called HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. And these compliance were geared towards protecting individuals' um, uh, privacy, again, because it was important at a national level. Then you saw um, industry health regulation. So uh, the payment card industry, uh, like Visa and MasterCard started saying, you know what, if our credit cards get uh, get breached and if all of these organizations are holding, uh, you know, end users credit card numbers and they get breached, it, it, no one will trust the, the credit card systems. And so they started to enforce it. Then you started seeing a lot of cybersecurity breaches, you know, 134 million accounts here, 200 million accounts here, brand names like Yahoo, Home Depot, Ashley Madison getting breached. And so what you're seeing is that the breaches kept going down and, and down. And the, the problem is that those breaches are bad news. I mean, the cost of a breach is, um, uh, is high. It's financial loss, reputation damage, uh, time loss and recovery. And so more and more organizations are now sort of pushing it and kind of showing that um, you, you do need these cybersecurity controls. But there was nothing before that had sort of um, compelled SMBs to actually do anything about it. And uh, the only thing today now that we're seeing that's compelling them is actually uh, cyber insurance uh, renewals. So when an organization uh, renews their insurance, so typically, you know, a business could have an insurance like errors and omissions, or maybe from fire or some building protection if they own a building. But now a lot of businesses have digital assets or operate in the digital market, they need cyber insurance. And insurance companies have seen 
you know, such losses in uh, cyber attacks, especially in the last two years, that they're compelling organizations to do so. So you're seeing more and more uh, uh, focus on it. And I think a lot of the times businesses are so uh, kind of um, focused on their own things that they're trying to do and, and, uh, um, uh, uh, and, and advance themselves that they're not sort of thinking of all of these other uh, controls. So it's, I, I think it's a matter of priority. Um, and uh, IT um, is always has kind of a, a lesser priority, especially when it comes to, uh, like a, to budgeting. And cybersecurity is like the IT of IT. Um, so I, I think that contributes quite a bit. But I, I think what you're going to see now, though, is much more democratization of MFA, not only for businesses, for consumers too. You know, one day there is going to be an inflection point that says, um, I'm only entering a password to access this website. Like that's not secure. I don't think I should be using this. And and I I, I guess on, on and I appreciate you laying it out that way, uh, Diego. And I imagine that means we're pushing towards a spot where it's no long MFA is no longer opt in. Like as an example, all social media sites allow it, but much of it is opt in. So to, like you're saying, as we go through this journey, eventually it's going to be a spot where it's on by default. <laughs> yeah, on by default or individuals are just going to want to turn it on and just want it. Yeah, yeah completely makes sense. So specifically uh, with CypherCore, you guys help companies to check that box when it comes to MFA for cyber insurance qualification, among all of the other things that uh, those applications require you to have in order to qualify for insurance. That's right. I mean, the list is robust. MFA is one portion, but there's all kinds of things that a, a cyber insurance co company would need. Uh, but MFA is becoming more and more uh, table stakes. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So in your view, when you're looking at insurance, and this is something that I've thought about quite a bit, and it seems like you have as well, um, where do you think this is going next? And what's behind that question for me is, okay, there are these applications and companies are attesting that they have certain protections in place and they're they're literally checking a box with a pen or they're doing it on, on their keyboard. Whether that is actually in place and to what degree of effectiveness is an entirely different layer of questions and reality. Um, what do you see as kind of the next step where the puck is going in the, the cyber insurance world? What's amazing is that uh, the fact that we're here and that insurance companies are kind of now having to hold this flag that they didn't have to before, right? They're now having to say, everybody needs to do more cybersecurity controls. Everybody needs, uh, you know, stronger firewall protections, uh, doing backups, uh, you know, we need to do MFA. And insurance companies traditionally um, are not necessarily well-versed in how to uh, determine whether that's in place or or how to enforce it. But the actuarial reality of the policies that they're enforcing is compelling them to, to do so. And so I think what you see now, is, especially say in the last year and a half, when you started seeing uh, insurance policies uh, include MFA as a, as a checkbox, is that the underwriters in the insurance industries and the underwriters are the ones that look at an application and determine whether they should insure that client or not are really working with stopgap tools. Uh, so, you know, a checkbox list to determine whether a certain uh, uh, requirement is satisfied. It's largely based on trust and those forms aren't clear. Like a form could have a question like, does your organization use multi-factor? Say, yeah, sure, we use it. 
but do you use it everywhere? Right. Like, so, but, but, you know, if you had a real, if you had a real uh, list, you know, maybe it would be too cumbersome to, to answer. And so what you're seeing in the insurance industry, because the insurance industry is a big industry and has a lot of innovative players is three things happening. So you have the one uh, insurers are saying, we've taken on too many losses in, in this space. We're going to step back and just reevaluate and just see how things play out. That's, that's, that's one. And then you have another pack that is saying, we're just going to hike our premiums to, and as sort of a stopgap financial approach to kind of like mitigate this risk. And then you have another pack that's saying, you know what? Everyone is going to need cyber insurance. If we're really good at insuring them um, by you know, working with them or having tools that can analyze and on an ongoing basis determine that they have the right controls in place or that they're, you know, it's it's kind of always uh, um, uh, validated on a continuous basis, uh, then we're going to be able to sign more insurance and really get the entire uh, the entire market. And so we we work to educate uh, the first two, and then we work closely with the third in order to promote uh, the right kind of cybersecurity controls. I have, I, I'm a little bit speechless. <laughs> no, no. We've, been, we've been talking about this for since the beginning of our company as well. And that's just absolutely music to my ears. To yeah, hear. Same, same with us, because you never had an SMB, never had a compelling reason to actually implement MFA beyond like, let's just do this because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Right before insurance, the the actual, uh, the penultimate reason why a, a business would want to do MFA was actually because of supply chain demands. So you saw big suppliers like Walmart, Amazon, that basically started doing, again, industry regulation like Visa and MasterCard saying, if you want to be part of our supply chain, so you're a clothing manufacturer or you are a, uh, you know, you do transportation or you provide the boxes or, you know, the materials you need to implement. And they would give them a long list of, of security controls to implement because as, as soon as you have one weakness in your supply chain, that can compromise large, important multinationals like uh, uh, Amazon and, and Walmart. And not only for financial reason, but they're important. These organizations are sort of important to the continuity of society of, you know, getting food or getting, you know, things, things for your home. And so they, they realize that importance, but now it's been, now it's generic. And, uh, and, and, and if, uh, if cyber insurance, that the next step would really be, uh, will um, the government, uh, will government uh, start saying, you know what, you're going to just need to have insurance, kind of like with cars, where, you know, if you want to drive a car, you have to have car insurance, not even questioned. And yeah. the, the the beauty about cars is that insurance companies don't have to go and check that your car is, is, up, to, is up to par, because that's already been pushed down to the manufacturers. It's not like that with businesses. Every business runs their IT uh, differently. So it, that will take a lot of time before we get to that level of Let's call it sim like simplicity. It's not simple, but the level of trust because yes. of the manufacturing. You know, if you're a car that's been manufactured after 2000, you know that that's an insurable uh, vehicle. We're not there yet for SMBs, but at least you're starting to see the signs that you know. Um, and it's it's not just for uh, uh, for liability. It's also for uh, uh, the nations themselves. Like uh, SMBs represent in Canada and the United States represent I think sixty to seventy percent of the workforce represent half of the GDP. Yeah. And so if those are uh, compromised, you're talking about, again, uh, uh, impacts, societal impacts. 
Wow. One could argue that 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 they're critical infrastructure, right? right. Yes, <laughs> in a, in a sense. From a, a, I mean, you 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 always hear, and I heard this growing up, uh, uh, that uh, you know uh, SMBs are like uh, small business are like an engine of yeah. uh, of, of the country uh, for Absolutely. not only for revenue but for employment. Yeah, wow. Lifeblood of the economy, and, and and Diego, I mean, the, Christian and I have been recording much of today. The, the energy that you brought has just uplifted us. Like, the way that you talk about what you do and uh, how you do it, the energy. Passion you bring, uh, you're you're a great testimony to to, to this uh, sector. Uh, that was absolutely phenomenal. Honestly, probably the best discussion we've had all day. Well, thank you very much. Awesome. And, and Diego, thank you again for carving time out of your, but I'm sure it's a very busy schedule. So we appreciate you hanging with Christian and I today. And uh, Christian and I will take a momentary pause, and uh, we'll be back shortly to wrap up today's episode. Diego did not disappoint. No. That was probably one of my top five favorite episodes just in in terms of the depth of his knowledge and the insights that he shared um, in in particular about the insurance industry and the the approaches there. Uh, Honestly, I'm kind of speechless. (laughs) I'm looking forward to having him on again and again and again on the podcast. Definitely want to go deeper into that stuff. Oh, absolutely. But um, I know it's going to be hard to do, but what was one of your key takeaways from that? Of the many things. Well, um, you know, it hits home for me because I come from that uh, back, the insurance background, but he was talking about the gap in uh, cyber insurance being, uh, from what I gather from what he was saying, uh, validation on a continuous basis. In other words, don't just say you have these, you know, cybersecurity protections and then uh, the insurance underwriters just take you at your word. There has to be some kind of ongoing proof that that was the case, is the case, and will be the case moving forward. Yeah, well, that's a, yeah, uh, absolutely. And we're uh, extremely thankful to Diego for carving time out of his busy schedule to to join us. And um, we're looking forward to having him on again as a as a recurring guest. Definitely, hundred percent. And uh, as always, I want to extend a special thank you to our loyal listeners and viewers who join us each and every week. If you did happen to miss a previous episode, do check out the Cybersecurity Matters YouTube page, or listen on your favorite podcasting platform. Until next time, be well, be safe. I'll see you again once more on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. See you next week.